Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. I don't know about you, but as a mom, I worry a lot. I worry that I'm not advocating enough. I worry that I'm advocating too much. I worry that I am doing big medical decisions that could affect my child, my children's lives, and it's just a lot. There's a lot, and my children are nonverbal. I mean, one's nonverbal in heaven, but one is nonverbal on earth, so it is what it is. But my children are nonverbal, and I've never been able to have a conversation with them about, you know, how all of this makes them feel. Also, Benji's two and a half, so take it for what it's worth. Today, we have a very special guest again. I am so excited. This is an awesome episode, and it's an amazing conversation that needs to be had more and more often. Today, we have Alicia Anderson. She is a professional speaker. She has, guys, she's a TED Talker. I would love to like sit down with her in person, but the closest we can get right now is through Zoom. Alicia talks to us about letting our kids surprise us with what they can do. She talks about what it was like for her parents to advocate for her versus her twin sister in the 70s. She explained to us what her TED Talk is about called Disabling Ableism. And we just, we have a very lovely conversation that needs to happen more so that we can disable ableism. Welcome back to When Autumn Comes. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Alicia, and Alicia is not a medical or special needs mom. Alicia is here to share her story, and I'm just going to let you jump in and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, I'm super excited to be here today, and my name's Alicia. I am a, in my day, day-to-day life, I'm a motivational speaker, um, a corporate inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility consultant for companies. You've said um, that a few times, haven't you? You kind of <laughs> and I have to say, it like gave me the chills to think about like somebody with that much experience, like moving our, you know, helping our kids move forward and with inclusion. That's incredible to think about. Yeah, and you know, so I ha- I'm. I have a disability. It's called sacralogenesis and it's under development of my spinal cord, the sacrum. It's a congenital disability. Um, and so I live my life from a wheelchair. The major challenge with my disability is a lot of the internal stuff, which I'm sure many people on this um, understand. Um, so yeah, I was born with my disability. I was born a twin to an identical twin sister. So her and I have been on literally a life long journey of inclusion way before it was a thing. And we are kind of chasing after the other half, right? Like I'm chasing after the able-bodied half of me because we're literally one egg split in two. And she's chasing after the disabled half of her. And inclusion has been embedded in me since literally from birth. And from a work perspective, you know, I have always worked and I know we'll probably get into that, but, you know, I was a waitress in a wheelchair through college. My parents like always, they were like, you're working. Um, And so I did the jobs that society doesn't think that people with disabilities can do, physical jobs. And so through college, I was a waitress and then, you know, I made all the way, you know, made to the vice president of sales in a software company. And now I have my own business. So I talked to corporate America about how we get our children who become adults into the workplace and have careers that they want, have the livelihood that they want, have the 
the resources that they need to really thrive in a work environment. So I'm all about kind of destigmatizing that in the workplace and opening, I call it widening doors of opportunity for us to really have whatever life we choose in any type of, you know, employment opportunity that we seek. So, oh my gosh, I am like giddy, you guys. This is going to be the best <laughs> conversation. It's so good. I can't wait to dive in. Oh, good. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your, let's, let's just start with your parents. Okay. Like, tell us a little bit because, so for anybody who hasn't w- listened, we will put the link to your TED Talk so they can get a, a 16-minute overview of your story. And then we will dive into this because as a mom, when I saw you, we were in a mutual speaking Facebook group. And when I saw your story, I was like, as a mom, like your mom and your dad have to be so incredibly proud of the amazing human you are. Hmm. Disability or not, you just care about people around you and you are making a difference in the world. And as a mom, I was just like, What's that new that Instagram meme that's like go little rock star? Like I was like, that's what I want for my kids. Um, so your your mom is looking down and she is so proud of you. Yeah, I know. I that just gave me the chills because I know she is. Um, yeah. So when I was, you know, it's going to date me, but I was born in mid seventies, and when we were, my sister and I were born, they didn't know. My parents didn't know they were twins. They didn't know one was going to have a severe disability. And so it was like, surprise, and it was go time for them, honestly. And back then, when my disability, you know, technology wasn't where it is, research, all that stuff. So it was really kind of like a bleak prognosis. It was like, she's not, she's not going to make it. If she does, she's not going to be able to sit up. She's not going to function in society. She's not going to function like a, a typical woman. Like there's, there's no hope. And back then, it was really still the time where we were kind of hiding away children with disabilities, you know. So I went into a hospital. I was there for a year. Um, I had a ton of surgeries. Um, and I ended up, you know, surviving. And, and this was of, as a baby. You were in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had, like, complete reconstruction on my urinary tract, major kidney problems. Recon- I was in a, a body cast for my legs for the whole – I mean, everything had to be reconstructed. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really, wow. like – uh, I say I'm like the scientific, like, you know, experiment that has gone right. Medical, it's been a medical miracle, honestly, yeah. with things that all of our children, I'm sure for every parent that's listening to this goes through. Um, and so my parents were, you know, the doctors were like, don't, do, don't give her the surgery she needs. And they immediately had to put forth advocacy and what I call my TED talk, disabling ableism, taking those, she can't, she won't, she won't live, she won't overcome this, she won't have a, a productive life and turn on believing impossible for what was considered impossible back then. And you just take it one step of, at a time, you know, and through love and advocacy and fighting, you know, I got to go home eventually. And, but that was back in the seventies, ADA was not, you know, Rehabilitations Act had just been passed. And so, um, you know, kids with disabilities were set, every disability was segregated. There was not, inclusion was not a thing. So there was a lot of no's for most of my life. And my parents were just like, she has to have the same opportunities as her sister. They didn't know what else to do, but that, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that was just sort of the path forward is she has to have the same opportunities. I'm trying to put myself in your mom's shoes. And first of all, I was just talking to another friend. If I had had a baby 200 years ago, I would never have like, I mean, what in a manger or something? I can't even imagine, but (laughs) Diane's face, where is she going with this? But like, let alone 40 years ago where you, you don't know anything. You don't know. She didn't know she was having twins, let alone the complications she would be facing the lifetime ahead or forget the lifetime, but 24 hours after giving birth, Mm. it's go, 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 figure this out, learn how to advocate on the spot. Because, And I know we can all test to like attest to how advocating is incredibly difficult, 
even mm-hmm. in our times, right? Like our kids are very well immersed for the, you know, considering mm-hmm. what you probably went through or what your parents were fighting for. And I cannot imagine I am, you know, as a mom and I'm, I think others can relate. Like and Susan, I have had this conversation that you kind of straddle this line of, I want to accept my child the way that she is and she is perfect. And I hope that she can do things, but I don't want to be let down if that's not possible for her. But I'm also so excited to try and get a perspective of what your parents had of like, excuse me, if there's a brick wall in front of us, that thing is going to get blown apart and we are going to, and, and I tend, and it's hard to say out loud. I don't think I have that mentality. Like I think I advocate well, but I don't have that. Like, no, this, this is going to happen because I'm not really sure how to. So I'm really excited for all of our listeners and myself to be able to learn how to explode that brick wall in front of us. It comes with brave. You just have to be brave and it, you don't, nobody knows the answers. Mm -hmm. I I like, I think my strategic tool has always been my sister. There's been kind of like something to follow, but um, they didn't know they were just afraid, you know? Mm -hmm. And, something is put in front of you and you're like, no, I want better for her. Yeah. And so I'm going to say it and it's hard to advocate, especially when it's doctors and professionals and teachers and the people that are supposed to know, no, yeah. but yes. nobody know, knows. Yeah. You no, know you're is? right. Nobody knows how amazing your child is going yeah. to be and what they can do. And what they can't do, and they're going to surprise, they're going to surprise you if you give them the opportunities Mm -hmm. to grow in that path of power. Mm -hmm. They really will, you know, so, um, but it takes bravery. It absolutely does. You have to be bold. So, and because of your mom and dad advocating them, especially I'm a medical mom through and through. We are very, as you can see, there's like a syringe over my shoulder here, but I, I am a medical mom. So the way I'm thinking the advocating your parents did the first year with all the surgeries, when it was so unheard of at the time has led to 40 years later, when my children were born, there was no question of what medical procedures would we take. You know, there was no like, okay, your kid is dying right now. We're just going to sweep her away. There was none of that because of parents like yours. And I am extremely grateful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I love to hear that. That's amazing. Um, And I wish my parents were around to hear that right now. Cause like I, a couple of years before my dad passed away, he passed away, I don't know, about eight years ago. And um, he broke down in the kitchen and he was apologizing. He still felt like they didn't make the right decisions. There's a lot of guilt that you carry around with. Am I making the right decisions for my kid? Am I giving them the right opportunities? Am I putting them through too much medically? Should I be doing more? Should I be doing less? That's always going to, that's always going to be there. The things that my parents did for me strategically medically, there's several, a couple things foundationally that they did for me. Number one, they taught me well. my dad really, so my backing up a little bit, my mom, um, she had, she got leukemia when I was seven years old and she ended up passing away. So before she did, you know, sometimes our lives are short, but they're powerful and they're impactful and they do more than a lifetime could for someone else, honestly. And so for me, like her path was figuring out how to give my sister and I both opportunities, going into the schools that I was in and demanding that I was integrated. I was the only kid integrated in the school, only one. She found wheelchair tennis for me. She put me in sports strategically for every parent out there, finding something that your child can either do physically or whatever they enjoy, where for me through tennis, I started playing when I was four. She found a sport that we could do inclusively together. That was the goal. But it also, and she probably didn't realize she was doing this at the time, it taught me to be competitive, strong, healthy, one with my chair, my equipment through play. So Mm -hmm. I was really efficient in it fast, you Mm -hmm. know, and that is carried through that competitiveness. Like 
it it's carried me through all the way through my career. I mean, I was never a Paralympic athlete, but I always was active in tennis and sports. And, and so whatever that thing is for your kid, letting them do that is, in my opinion, is it, it, that was the single most important thing that my mom did for me. On top of that, right before she passed away, she told my dad, she has to be able to be independent in this life without us. And, and it was like the final promise, right? And he <laughs> stuck to that through my life. And he only adapted to things in my environment that were essential. I had to learn to get glasses from a top counter because he knew our right, wrong, or indifferent. But back then, accessibility wasn't there. I needed to learn to be nimble and, you know, adapt to my environment on the fly yeah. <laughs> every second, you know? Yeah. And so those what a gift. really important foundationally. Mm-hmm. The speech therapist keeps telling me to disrupt Benji's, disrupt it, like go in there and disrupt what he's yes. doing because he needs to figure out how to, he's, he's not able, he's finally able to roll. Um, cognitively he is intellectually disabled, physically disabled. He could sit up if he tried, but he's lazy. And she's like, you need to disrupt this. You need to push him harder and make him figure out what he's doing. And that's exactly what your family did for you. They pushed you. And there's, you know, like when I was a kid, my grandma wanted to pick me up and help me. And my dad would just be like, do not touch mm-hmm. her. And it's hard as parents to allow your children to navigate and 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 go through the hard things to get to the other side of success of it. But it's really important. And growing up with other kids with disabilities, you can see specifically the ones that are coddled a little bit too much. And it, it, it affects social skills, it affects so much. Like it's really, in my opinion, it's really important as much as you can to let your child navigate the world and get to the other side of, oh, I did that. Now what am I going to do? Oh, I did the next, next, next. And that's how I live my life now. Like next, what's next, next, you know? So it's, it's um, as much as you can. And I know it's hard. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I'm just a (laughs) child that was pushed. And so like, I learned that this is my path. I learned that medical things are my next step into tomorrow. You go do it. It's part of it. It's okay. Like, let's get it done. What's next? Next, 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 next. So right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what they taught me. And it was very foundational for my path um, yeah. and having some confidence and strength. Mm-hmm. So circling back to disabling ableism, yeah. that is essentially exactly what you mean when you use that term. Yeah. So disabling ableism is, I mean, we, I think we probably all know what ableism is, but it's, you know, the, the prejudice where we favor an able-bodied over um, somebody with a disability. It's the can'ts, won'ts, don't hire, don't include, don't adapt, don't take the time, all of that. Um, And disabling ableism is flipping, disabling a switch, turning that off in our minds that, we're not looking at anyone with a disability like they can't, but flipping that off. And we believe in the possibility for everyone initially, right out of the gate, right when we're looking at them. And I, I wrote this spe- and that's the modern pathway today to inclusion because we're blocking people with disabilities with the stigmas and what we think is going to happen for them. And we do not know. She won't sit up. She won't function like a woman. She won't be productive in society. Don't label me like that until I, until I can't, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's flipping those things off and believing that this is just part of each one of our, our diversities. Yeah. And those are the things that make us so powerful, you know, because they want, when, when we got our diagnosis, we were told, Lorelai was the 31st documented case of FBXL4 mitochondrial disease in the world. Wow. And I mean, that's not even a classroom. Like that's, you know, and wow. Yeah. They were like, well, she more than likely, she won't eat by mouth. She'll be nonverbal. She won't be able to sit, walk, crawl. And she has a two to five year life expectancy. So they immediately, And I love them. And I know that a couple of those doctors who were in that conference room are listening right now. But 
they immediately built a box for her in my mm-hmm. mind. I don't think they meant to. I think they were trying to lay out the 31 or the 30 other cases. But in my mind, I was leaving the NICU with a baby in a box. Mm-hmm. And I needed to figure out how to let Lorelai be as magical as she could possibly be and make the difference. Uh, you said earlier, and I got all teary, uh, you know, short lives can make a huge difference. And Lorelai was five and a half when she passed. And she did things with the brain damage that she had. She was able to use her Toby talker. She was able to communicate in ways that logically with the damage she had to her brain made no sense that she could communicate, but she was able to, because we gave her the opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think too, like science is incredible. Medical professionals are needed, incredible. And like, I'm so appreciative of them. But it brings me back to like, they're not God. Like, mm-hmm. Sayla shouldn't have made it through her first year of life. And here she is five, like, defying, you know, not necessarily odds, but you just never know. And it's not hard to remember, but I think it's easy to forget. It's it's easy to forget that it's such a gift and to like compile that gift and move forward with a lot of momentum to give these kids opportunities that they deserve. 100%. That's beautiful. It's also exhausting too as a yeah, mom. Yeah. Like, oh, let's is. not sugarcoat this. No. It is. <laughs> I am like in the middle of battles for kindergarten. I mean, it has just been a doozy and she has exploded and you're giving me so much fire to oh, good. even just go in there and say, can you guys listen to this? Because I don't expect them to understand fully. You know, mm-hmm. they're they have to grade her. They have to somehow label her to work towards goals. And it's just as hard for them, I'm sure, as it is for me sometimes to say, no, this is not just what I want for her. Like, we're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep problem solving until we can figure out how to move forward fluidly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, as a mom who has two children with disabilities, physical and intellectual, from your experience, I'm all about taking down the walls of the boxes and I'm all about pushing. How do I do this with a child who has an intellectual disability? And I know you are not there personally, but in your line of business, I'm sure you have crossed paths with families like mine. How do I advocate, in your opinion, to push when, when you know, cognitively he might be six months old? developmentally, physically, he is almost three. Uh, It just becomes, you know, I get physically, people say, oh, well, he just looks so normal. And uh, (laughs) like, yes, he does look. That's ableism right there. Yes, exactly. That is, and he just looks so normal. I can't believe that he can't talk. He just looks so normal. Why does he have a feeding tube? And I can push my kid in his wheelchair and I can help him roll and disrupt his world so that I can get him. I struggle with the intellectual side and getting people to understand. Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm kind of rambly right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that we have a lot of work to do for people to understand disability in general. And my husband always says, like, we're thrown into this kitchen sink together and Disability is the largest marginalized group with so many variations and intersects with everything that the only way we start having a grasp on this stuff is we disable ableism and we start talking about it Mm -hmm. in a real way. And we have to share. And I, you know, I have a lot of people that say like, you don't, you're not the one that needs to be sharing and teaching. And I'm like, well, who else is going to? Who is going to sit and have a a heartfelt, like my platform is heart of inclusion. It's we need to be humans together and like share. And so I'm not going to have the perfect answer for you because you're more of the expert on that. But what I do know is disability is looked over past, you know, ignored. And so we continually are stuck in the space of, oh, you look normal or, oh, do you think you're going to not be disabled one day? No, no, it's my identity. Mm -hmm. This is your child's identity. Like we need to have 
the conversations and it's so that's so basic but yeah. like like literally get back get to the basics instead of not looking at all you know so i don't know like it starts with it starts with education and talking about these things and and if you're open to it allowing somebody else to learn a little bit through your path so the next time absolutely in, you know they're like oh tell me about your son let me ask because a lot of the moms that I know are completely open to sharing their story. We have been in the trenches doing medical stuff for five minutes to a hundred years, depending on where we are in this journey. Most of us are completely okay with people coming up and being like, Hey, like, can you tell me about her wheelchair? You as a disabled person, are you okay with that? Like, how yes. do you feel? Yes. And I believe that we all need to be in, in some way in which we're comfortable. It doesn't have to be, you know, behind the closed doors and like your deepest, darkest secrets, but how are we not okay with that? People don't know. Like we're having all these, these conversations in our society about learning about different marginalized groups. Like we have to do the same thing with disability or we're going to continue to be siloed into this like, shh. Yeah. I don't want to be shh my whole life. Exactly. Your whole, their whole life. Like, right. And I think we've had a conversation with another woman on here that she said, and it just struck, struck me and has stayed with me. My door is open for whenever you're ready to learn about my child. We all hope that sooner than later, but I think we have to be open to the conversation to move forward. And I don't expect anybody to know what it's like to walk in our family's shoes or my child's shoes, just like I'm sure you don't expect. And it's not their journey. It's not their path. Right. But if we're going to close that off and maybe be offended by what somebody's questions are going to be and kind of have a wall up, not willing to swallow that pride, I want to be open to acknowledging their question as moving forward and wanting to know and learn about our situation and our child and what they can do to help move this forward. That just gave me the chills because that's, that is, that is a hard work that we have to put in. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's supposed to be uncomfortable. We're supposed to make mistakes. We are probably going to offend someone, but it's collaborative. Like that someone also needs to be open to say, you know, it's okay. Like you're learning. This is, you know, it's hard work. It's ongoing. Mm -hmm. It's different in every situation. If this isn't a check off the box thing. Like, you know, I speak to these companies. They're like, check off the box, disability inclusion. No, like, no, like there's so much variation. Like this is an ongoing forever learning uh, opportunity. Yes. You know, that we can all, all of us like that, that know these things have the ability to expand believing in possible. If we're yeah. willing to like share a little bit and not get mad, like, like, I know that we can get offended. Like I had some, I started speaking because some man told me I was at a concert and he said, you're in the way. Isn't there a place for people like you? Like there's people, this was like four years ago, you know, oh, people that need to be educated and slapped. And that was extreme, <laughs> you know, that was extreme. But did you uh, roll over his toes? Like, yeah, it was, just, it was honestly, it's like it. If I wrote my first uh, speech, uh, inclusivity removes invisibility because we are invisible. Like we yeah. are, are dis we are a, a disability. I'm a wheelchair. It's just like no, I'm a human. Yeah, and look me in the eye and let's have a conversation about it. So, and then we have that human connection. We care. Like that's mm -hmm. I, my sister. We care about each other. So. I find a way to jump rope with her and she finds a way to play wheelchair tennis with me because mm -hmm. we don't leave somebody behind that we have some sort of human connection with. So it's having conversations opens up. It's conversations like this. It, oh, I mean, yeah. this is exactly what our society needs to be listening to because we had a resident come in and it was ENT. They immediately like go to open Lorelai's mouth and I'm like, she's going to bite you. Like, what? They didn't talk to her. They didn't acknowledge, like they just came right in and, and she bit him. <laughs> and I was like, and he looks at me, he goes, she bit me. And I was like, right. You didn't say anything to her. You literally just opened her mouth, stuck your fingers in. Of course, she's going to bite you. Mm -hmm. Show her the, what is a, a popsicle stick called? <laughs> oh, Show her the, the tongue depressor. Show, you know, she was four years old. 
-hmm. Of course she's going to bite you. And he just looked past her. He didn't talk to her. He only spoke to me. There was no communication to my child who is right there. Mm -hmm. Um, I was pretty proud that she bit him, but that's neither (laughs) here nor there. Um, He learned and he learned to talk to her the next time we saw him. (laughs) So Alicia, I would love to... Um, touch on this. And this is a little hard for me to say because it is, you're completely proving a point to somebody that has a child with a disability. Mm-hmm. I listened to your TED talk and okay. you spoke you. about um, this boy. I think he, he was making fun of you or something mm-hmm. on the playground, right? Mm-hmm. And you yep. talked about the punishment that they gave this boy in the playground. How old were you at that time? Um, so I was probably about seven, eight. Okay. And the punishment was he had to ride around in a wheelchair and to understand what it feels like. And in my head, I was like, oh yeah, totally. That's a good punishment. And you completely were like, absolutely not. Can you speak on that? And if you have to, you know, tell some more of the story, please do. But yeah, well, it goes back to ableism, how we look at, at disability as, a, as if it's a punishment, as if it's something you would not want, as if it's something that you need to prove the point that you're better one way than another. And this story in particular was um, this little boy was he would call me gorilla arms, he'd run around the playground and, you know, the adults caught wind of it. And they the punishment for him the next day was to ride around in a wheelchair for a day. So he would have a day in a life of me and, and, you know, hopefully not make fun of anybody with a, uh, with disability. Again, the, the intention was good, but it was looked through the eyes of an ableist. And so the next day, this, this little boy go, comes, you know, to playground all day. He struggles. It was embarrassing. It was so embarrassing for me, for him. It was a visual for everybody that day kids on the playground, every teacher in the classroom at lunch that, you know, a disability is a punishment and that you wouldn't want to ever have a life like this. So understand you shouldn't be making fun of people like this. Understand your privilege, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem with that is it's a message that carries through a lifetime. <laughs> you know, like our ableist thoughts of, you're so beautiful to be disabled. I'm so sorry. Or will you ever walk or, Oh, that's you poor thing. Or all of these things that we kind of give to people with disabilities innocently, innocently, this is not like malicious whatsoever. Um, But it takes away who we are and we start believing these things. Instead of teaching these kids, you just don't make fun of children, peers, you're teaching them, you don't make fun of people with disabilities. And I have to admit that like, I will tell my kids sometimes, my older two, who are you know typically developing children that like, don't complain about how tired you are. Look at what your sister, you know, I'm sure she'd give anything to be able to run with you, which yeah. partially I think is true, right? She wants to be in, in the mix of all the kids, but it really made me think of how I choose my words with other people people. I mean, we are all ableist. I, I have it in myself. You know, when I wrote this speech, my twin was like, Oh my God, I, I think I'm able. you know, my husband's in a wheelchair. His sister was like, Oh my God, you know, this is, we are, it's embedded in us the way we look at disabilities from a young age when we are shushing our kids, when we're not allowing them to ask questions. We're teaching that this is different. This is something you wouldn't want. Don't look, look away, don't engage like a shh. And it's innocent, but we need to shift that. We need to disable it because it's, it's putting up stigmas and blockers and, and doubts and, and all of these things that are taking away what is potentially, probably, most certainly for me, literally the most powerful part of my being. It took a long time to have a relationship with it. I was an ableist most of my life. That's fine. I got it. It's not a problem. Oh, it, you know, I don't need help. That's all lies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's taken me until my 40s to have a, an impactful, empowering relationship with it and accepting that inclusion is 
collaborative and I do need help sometimes. And sometimes I, I need to teach others and we need, you know, we need to be in this together, but. Oh my gosh. Hard pause. Inclusion mm-hmm. is collaborative. That is one of the most powerful things that I've heard in a long time. That's incredible. Thanks. Good. That's good to know. I say it in my speech. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, that can be easily like skimmed over. And I was like, whoa, inclusion is collaborative. Like just yeah. us putting down our walls. And like it comes down to confidence in who we are or who my child is. I mean, I hope she has a lot of confidence. She's nonverbal, so I'm not quite sure. But in any of my children, right? That's what you want. It comes with time. Mm-hmm. Like having a disability as a kid and an adolescence is hard. It's hard. It's not fun. I was depressed in high school. Horrible. You know, terrible. My sister had all these dates, doing hair, going to prom. I would do the same thing and have dinner with my parents. You know what I mean? Like, this is a long path of acceptance. But whether you have a disability or not, there's stuff that we don't like or that we wish or, you know, and it takes a while to have a relationship with that. It's the same thing. And disability is hard. And there's a lot of other things that we have to go through to just have a normal day. But that's a thing that is so empowering. You get, you get to the other side, you're like, ha, huh, I did that. What's next? You know what I mean? And, and it, it really, for me, has been the most impactful, gratifying thing in my life is to over, overcome, honestly. I was going to say, when you made the comment, um, you know, that you poor thing, or how can I help? Or to me, it stands out. Everybody says, God only gives special people, special needs children. And I, I step back and I go, well, sure. They're not necessarily saying, like, you're not saying that poor thing to me as the mom. You're saying it about my child. But all of this language snowballs and you've got moms who are grieving the lives they thought they were going to have. And that's a common thing, I think, amongst a lot of the moms in our community is that we are grieving the life we thought, whether that meant I was going to be a Girl Scout leader. And language, I'm just like swirling with this again, how the language has affected my motherhood and affected, you know, how I've pushed my kids in certain ways or how I have allowed people to look in on our lives because of God only gives special people or you can do it. We're so, you're the strongest mom we've ever seen. And they mean it sincerely, but it also goes back the other way too. It definitely does. And it's okay to grieve that stuff. Um, I was going to ask, do you know, your kids kids are going to grieve it themselves. I, I get asked a lot, like, Oh, or I get told a lot. You must be so much, it's so much easier for you to be disabled than somebody who has had an accident or happens, you know, at some other point in life, because you're born like this, you don't know anything different. And there's some truth to that, I, I guess, but um, a good friend of mine that I used to play tennis with, like he said, he had spinal cord injury and he said like, and I'll never forget it. There's always a moment of realization in your life that you're different. So for him, it was when he broke his back and like, boom, my life has changed. And for me, there was a moment where I realized, oh, I am not like my sister. Like I am disabled. You know, and so there's these, these moments and then you, you mourn it a little bit, you know, you're like, okay, and but, and that's okay. You need, we all need to do that. But I, what I encourage anyone who's on this path is to then say like, all right, brush it off. I got one life. What am I doing with it? You know, I am going to be the mom that is the brownie leader with the kid with a disability. And I'm going to show that this is possible. You know, oh, she and- sold 800 boxes of cookies left. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you know, so yeah, I, there's, there's a huge, there's a huge opportunity for all of us who's listening to this, who's into our world uh, to make some serious impact. There's a reason why I have my own business speaking about this stuff right now, because our society's ready to hear it more than ever before. It's huge. 
I would love to ask you um, briefly about your time in corporate America and what did you see? How did it evolve? Like, what are you speaking to these, you know, CEOs and partners about to say, this is what, this is how you're going to get from point A to point B and it has to happen. Like, what are you seeing for evolution of that? Um, so I, I'm seeing a lot. I, when I started my career, there was a lot of not blatant discrimination, but discrimination where, and so much stigma around my disability. Like I wouldn't show my wheelchair on my LinkedIn, which is my most powerful tool. Honestly, I wouldn't tell a hiring manager that I was coming in, in my wheelchair. I always was prepared to right, wrong or indifferent. It was just the way that I needed to be prepared. Like be prepared because I go for physical jobs, like I sales, traveling all over the, you know, it wasn't like behind the desk. And so be ready to pitch my, how I can physically like do the job and then get to my expertise and, and then, you know, hopefully get hired. And over time we're becoming, we're starting to have these conversations. Disability has been the last, in my opinion, on up at bat, <laughs> frankly. So the last couple of years with everything that's going on with the social injustice stuff, like we're starting to have a little bit of a voice. Last year was big. This bigger this year, I feel the momentum. And my last hiring manager, instead of having to have these conversations, we didn't even talk about it. And we're starting to look at disability, like our diversities, our assets and attributes over limitations. And the example that I give is for him, I got hired at the VP executive level, um, you know, and I said, you didn't know I show him up in a wheelchair because I did that whole hiding thing back then still. And he said, I said, why? And he's like, well, your expertise, da, 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 da. But then he said to me, I knew you had to be a good planner. Like, I can thank him for my speaking career. I knew you had to be a good planner. And I knew that would translate to work because I know you have to plan accessibility, plan infrastructure, go into different corporate offices, go state to state, Uber, just, you know, like all these things. You have to like be efficient at that. And that would translate to your work. So it's, we're, I'm having conversations with corporate America now about diversities, disability specifically, having valuable attributes because we have to overcome more. We have to be more strategic. We have to find ways to think outside of the box to accomplish the same thing. And so those are conversations that now with every company has DEI, you know, like, um, groups. And so they're all wanting to talk about this and disability is just kind of the one thing that's difficult. And so I bring in my heart of inclusion platform, human to human, and I'm not the HR chuck of the box. This is what you need to do. It's like, no, like we need to talk about the collaboration that this is going to take for every single person. And most disabilities are invisible and you're going to have to like, and so that's what I'm doing now. And on top of that, the whole accessibility conversation is Huge because accessibility is like this always for me has been this dark cloud of ADA and, you know, it's punitive and people I've been excused. The the last um, industry that I was in was real estate development. And, you know, ADA is a pain in the you know what for these people. More money, delays, da, 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 da. And so I'm starting to spin this this accessibility conversation from being this stigmatized thing that honestly for people with disabilities, in my opinion, this is totally my opinion, it is really difficult to navigate in a work environment because it's looked at as a problem. Right. We're going to get sued, this da 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 But now if we start looking at accessibility, like, oh, what do we get? If we look at accessibility instead of an afterthought, like built the building, oh, we don't have the ramp, whatever it is. If we look at it at a design standpoint, before we develop anything, whether it's infrastructure, technology, any products or services, we are building something that we all choose because it's the path of least resistance. It's the series. It's the texting. It's the ramps that we want to use for our strollers. It's the big bathroom that I have to wait in line for. Like, why can't we just have a universal design for all that? Like, why? Mm-hmm. We all want that. We all want that type of design. Yes, 
you know, so those are the things that I'm talking to corporations about now. I'm trying to destigmatize disable ableism in the workplace too, to look at our diversities, whatever it is, disability or not, as valuable attributes that uh, we are able to leverage. No, you want to hire me because I am disabled and I'm better at this than they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I feel like I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, back to the parents that are listening that have children with cognitive disabilities. Okay. How do we do what you're doing when they factually have cognitive limitations on their ability to be in a workplace? Like what does our world need to do to help them be anything that they are able to be? You have to keep talking about it. I attended this conference last year and it was all about accessibility. And there's this, there's this amazing presentation on this t-shirt company that's, uh, they do printing and they're this big company. They've got all these huge in the United States. Forgive me. I can't remember the name. That's really bad. Um, But (laughs) they've got this whole program of hiring people with autism, like huge employee base because of the benefits of what they can bring to the Mm -hmm. table. People, hiring, organizations, society assumes that people with intellectual disabilities can't, won't, never, don't hire, don't include, don't befriend. It's the same thing. We have to be talking about the assets, the attributes, the cans, the the accomplishment, you know, like that has to be at the forefront and people don't know until we're like screaming it. Your episode I think is going to air after Lou, my godmother, who, um, she was a special education teacher for 45 years and she started something called river bucks at her high school. And it was her students. She would take them to Sam's club. She let everybody at Sam's club learn about her students. She let them learn about purchasing food. She let them learn about, you know, and then twice a week they would open up the star, the river bucks in their (laughs) classroom. And all of the other students came to them and were like, this is like her kids learned how to count money. Her kids, the things that society was telling her classroom, you will never be able to do. She was like, we're going to do it all. We're going to prepare the food. We are going to, and she has helped a good portion of her students with physical and intellectual disabilities get jobs afterwards because she showed our community what they could do. Half, I think some of them got jobs at Sam's Club afterwards because they were like, (laughs) these people are great, you know? And it's, it's just having that conversation and just showing that they may not be able to do things traditionally, but look at how unique it is getting it done this way instead. And it still can get done is the thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and the whole waitress in a wheelchair thing. Like I would carry 15 margaritas on my lap around a restaurant. Hiring somebody with a disability takes an open-minded forward thinking company that's willing to adapt. And it also takes the other person, the person with a disability being willing to be bold and go for it and then collaborate on it until you find the way, the path forward, and it's individual every, and yes. with any type of disability. And I know that's easier for me to say because I I don't have an intellectual disability, but, you know, I've been in and out of the hospital my entire, like, there's so much, it's yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. Well, hard. I, th- I think hard. I'm hearing creativity, and on yes. my end, it takes yeah. time, and it takes a lot of physical and emotional hard work. And I keep hearing you say forward thinking, and I love that because I'm such a visual person. And sometimes when I'm really tired, depressed, whatever it is, anxious, I find myself like leaning back this. I'm just, I I can only do the bare minimum, but there are so many possibilities. And I'm I'm thinking now of all these companies, like I I don't, do you guys have quick trip down there? I don't know. Gas station. So Mm -hmm. they have they hire kids with intellectual disabilities and they pair them with a job coach and like just within a company of they might not have to adapt their whole store for just physical dip disabilities but how do we adapt it for intellectual dis, intellectually disabled people to be able to give them like yes it's going to cost a little more but 
you know, you're also giving these kids the opportunity and how much the entire world is benefiting from being face to face with diversity. I mean, that's what we all want. And if we want to talk about ROI for the leaders, right? Like we have to get leaders, the executives to care about this. So they put in the effort for it. And what do they care about? They care about return on investment. And it's like this t-shirt company that's hiring the group with autism. The adaptability piece was minimal from a financial standpoint, but the return on investment is like he had like 98% of show rate. Don't quit. Like people with disabilities want to work. They want to have a livelihood. They show up early. They stay late. Like not having those opportunities and you get them and you give them. Those are the hardest working, most nimble, adaptable, and loyal employees Mm -hmm. that you're going to hire. Because they have been challenged with adversity and they're thankful for the opportunity. Yes. I love that. Yes. I have, I am like on fire. You have, (laughs) I'm like, who can we send this to? We need to change this world. This is incredible. So we always wrap up with one question, but I want to ask you two questions. Okay. The first one to the mamas listening. I feel like I could talk to you too, like for four days, but we probably could. And if you want, we could do, we do this like 4am thing where we just shoot the wind for like, you can join us for a a 4am if you want. Um, Sorry, I just cut you off. But no, 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 you're fine. So to the mamas who are listening, mm-hmm. if you had one piece of advice to summarize kind of what we've talked about, you, you're talking to two moms face-to-face right now or virtually face-to-face, but you've got a lot of very tired, very, I like to call us gritty because we're scrappy and gritty and we get shit done, mm-hmm. advocating mamas who want the best for our kids. Can you give like a couple sentences of the empowerment that your parents gave you or how could you empower us moms right now? So a couple things that I was taught from my parents was from day one was Alicia. They would repeat it to me. You can, you should, and you will in this life. You just have to try. Number one, this is going to be a tough road ahead of you. There's no question. All you need to do is do the best that you can and smile because people are watching and you have this amazing opportunity to impact the future of society. So I just would encourage moms and dads to push their kids a little bit and and embed in them. You can do it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and, 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 and feel good about it. You know, so I don't want to No, that is. And, and I want to turn it the other way too, to the moms who are listening also and be like, moms, you can, and you, you are, and you are doing this mamas. And it is not easy, but you guys, us as a community, we are, we didn't necessarily sign up for this. We didn't envision this life, but we are doing it. And for the most part, I got more gray hair, but we're doing a damn good job at it. And from a, a little girl whose mom has been gone for a long time, you're so important. <laughs> you're so important. You're so important. And the things that you you are doing for your children right now, it's creating their path. Like it, it is literally you. You are creating it right now for them. So the work that you're doing, it could not be more important. I I was talking to Susan earlier this week. I was just having like a day and I was like, you would be that friend if something ever happened to my child that's like, get your ass up on that floor. That floor is not going to eat you whole. Get up. You're going to do this. And I totally feel like Alicia, you're number two. You'd be like, get your butt off that floor. Keep going. Like you can rest, but you better get up sooner than later and keep moving forward. Well, and that's what I was going to say is you've seen, I'm sure your parents, like we can sit here and say they empowered, they did everything great, but I'm sure your mom was human too. And your dad was human too. And we have days where we are not 100% and we are feeling sad and we are tired and afraid and it's okay. Right. From a, from, 
from the child's perspective who has turned into an adult, it's okay for us to have days like that, right? We're not ruining you by you seeing us struggle, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> no. And and honestly, it's the only the, – the memories that I have of my parents are – are powerful, you know, and was there some rough times? Yes, for sure. For them. But from the child's eyes, you are the Queens. You are the most important, most powerful um, people, parents leading the way for your kids. They're not going to, they're not even going to remember any of that stuff. Honestly, they're going to remember the, 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 the big push pushes forward. Thank you. Now, here's the the final question of this conversation is, Alicia, what gives you hope? These kinds of conversations, having an opportunity to talk about this stuff, being received, and honestly, this word that's out there right now called allyship, I'm really seeing a lot right now that I speak, and then this organization takes my words and they ship it out somewhere else and we're teaching society what's possible and through every opportunity we have a chance to talk about these things I'm so hopeful that we're having these major moves of acceptance and belief you know it's that the strategic tool my parents gave me was to believe you know and our society is starting to each and every time each of us speaks about this stuff just a little bit. So that gives me a lot of hope for the future. So Diane, how was it? What did you think of her? Oh my gosh. I, I loved her such a different perspective, which was incredible and gave me a lot of motivation to, take it and I don't know, just go out and advocate. I'm kind of speechless right now, honestly. I was going to say, if you guys could see Diane's face, she's like beaming with like, I'm giddy. Here's all the stuff I have to get done for my kid right now in the community. Mm -hmm. And Diane's going to go out and just get it done. Heck yeah. I loved hearing her perspective because I feel like as moms, sometimes I feel like we're, not completely in the disabled community, but we're also in our own little bubble of a community. And as she was talking and the words were resonating with me of like, here's what, you know, here's what ableism looks like. And I kind of took it like, you know, all those times that like people are like, you're such a great mom to do what you do. You're so good at this. That is also like, it's just the words, the words have Mm -hmm. so much impact and I can't, I get annoyed when people are like, you're so good. You're such a, it's a, you're amazing. We're all amazing people. Like we just have to Mm -hmm. do what we have to do. And I thought it was a really good conversation. I'm just rambling. I have no idea what I'm saying. I think though too, when I think back and listen to everything that was just said, you know, there's like this convolution between being a parent. I mean, we are parents, we're advocates, we're caregivers, we're all of the above. And I have 80 people from different teams coming at me. Hey, have you thought of this? Because they don't want to step on my toes as a mom. Have you thought of this? Mm -hmm. What about changing her like that? And I sit here like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I didn't think about that. So I do feel like as though Alicia gives us direction on how to advocate. Like, what does that look like? What are the possibilities? Like, I don't know. At least for me, it gets me in a a clear frame of mind to move forward with that specific part of my task as a mom. And so it's just a really good perspective, specifically from a verbal person Mm -hmm. with a disability, because it is hard to navigate with a nonverbal disabled child of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I forcing you or pushing you out of my own frustration or annoyance of like, I can't do this anymore, do it yourself or whatever it might be. So Mm -hmm. I loved the conversation. It was great. Before we sign off, I want to add that there are a lot of ways that you guys can get in touch with Alicia and you absolutely should. 
aliciaanderson.com if you want to learn more about her, more about her story. If you want to book her for a speaking engagement, do it. You can listen to her TEDx talk, Disabling Ableism, The Modern Pathway to Inclusion. I will include the link in our show notes. And on Instagram, she is Alicia Speaking. Thank you, Alicia, for being here. And this is Susan. I am going to go paint. And this is Diane. And I'm going to go write some letters. I almost forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> write, write some letters to, to some people about... Be sending this episode out to all of her people. Yes. I'm, I can't wait. Thank you, Alicia. Hey, just in case you're new here, please um, listen up. Or if you're not new here, if you're old here, go ahead and listen too. I want to invite you to the When Autumn Comes Society. It is a Facebook group where we talk about all things related to the podcast. You do not have to be a special needs mom. You do not have to be a caregiver. You can be anybody. Everybody's welcome. Also, we would love it if you would share this podcast with the people you know who would like it. We're really trying to grow so that we can help other families and other moms not feel so alone in their journey. So if you could like this podcast, share this podcast, I don't know, send it out with your Easter cards that are coming. Do people send Easter cards? I don't really know. Okay, guys, see you on Friday.